Welcome to the Talent Matters Podcast. Learn how to make the most of talent as a competitive advantage. Navigate today's fast-changing talent landscape and prepare now for the future of work. Here's your hosts, Brian Arzani and Jennifer Erickson. Welcome to Talent Matters. You're here today with Jennifer Erickson and Brian Arzani. What's up, Trent? Hey, feeling good. Hope you guys are doing well. Absolutely, man. We are so excited to be able to talk with you. I think the listeners are going to be able to really, truly gain a different perspective because you're going to bring us a couple different perspectives from your world. And I think really where this ends up, if anybody has ever been around the educational world, whether, uh, you know, as a student, elementary, high, junior high, high school, then this will be for you because it'll give you some behind the scenes. If you are an educator or an administrator, give you some interesting thing behind the scenes. And also, hey, I guess if you're an executive in an organization or even in business, then you know what? Let's just talk, man. Talent matters. Let's do this. All right. So Trent, you are an associate professor of education at Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa, as well as owner of Grunmeyer Leadership Search. So why don't you give us a little bit of background on yourself, what you've done in the past and how you got where you are today? Yeah, you bet. Uh, well, I'm an Iowan uh, through and through. I spent uh, actually grew up in a, a farm in northeast Iowa and a pretty average uh, student uh, going through school and then actually went to Buena Vista to college. And I, I started uh, my training in education actually uh, actually pre-vet and then got into education after taking one class and I still stay in touch with a professor who was my, my one professor that pushed me into education and I think back about that I, it's yeah it was really the people business that connected me to education and really never looked back uh, education was my passion and graduated from Buena Vista actually got into Drake to, uh, with my master's degree because I was hungry for leadership and uh, taught a few years at uh, Waukee before being a the youngest high school principal in Iowa, actually, uh, in Hampton Dumont, age 25. I uh, had a good run there and then uh, was a principal at Indianola High School uh, before finishing my PhD and going to Iowa State, uh, where I did my, my doctorate work on technology adoption and integration, uh, which was fun. I went to uh, Drake in 2013, where, uh, again, as associate professor, um, I started as an assistant professor and, and now have tenure. Uh, I train principals and superintendents and actually advise uh, the superintendent program at Drake. And so I really never intended, to be honest with you, Jennifer, I never intended to start a search firm. But uh, when I hear from some of the others and, and knew how business was done in the field, I selfishly uh, believe that there's something I could contribute and fill some gaps and be a little more innovative in uh, that work. And so in 2014, started Grunmeyer Leader Services and certainly grown a little bit uh, throughout the years. Now, we're going to get into both your work at Drake and your leadership services agency as well. But tell me more, what was it about you and what were you doing that you became the youngest principal in the state? Yeah, man, I didn't even know that. Holy cow, we've, we've been hanging out for quite a while. It's just, this is, I'm feeling kind of like I missed out on some questions I should have been asking you. Well, the truth I think was that they were just hard up and knew they could hire me cheap. <laughs> 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 but uh, no, I think, you know, what I hang my hat on my search firm today is all about fit. And when I think back to why I was hired at Hampton Dumont, they wanted somebody that was, would bring some fresh ideas, be at every event, uh, get in classrooms and be a strong instructional leader, be part of the community. And that's things that I could offer them uh, regardless of age. Uh, the receding hairline and belly probably helped as well, but uh, it really was a great fit uh, when I got started then. Well, I mean, that had to be interesting to be literally managing, right? mentoring and holding people accountable that were 
easily twice your age, if not even maybe a little bit more. You know how many times I heard from staff, you're young enough to be my son and sometimes grandson. Uh, I could, I, I mean, I, I, hundreds of times. But uh, at the end of the day, I think uh, what people appreciated, and probably not everybody, but, but most people appreciated was I didn't come into it, you know, as a content expert in anything. I didn't come into it with, you know, expectations that were unreasonable. I just tried to treat people right and push the bar and do what's best for kids. Those are the things I hung my hat on and I think helped me be successful there and uh, led to, you know, the next job as well. Well, what a cool example of, you know, time does not equate to competency, okay? And a lot of things that we talk about in terms of, you know, really are, are leaders born or built, um, those, dis- you know, those topics that our listeners obviously are interested in, but to really truly look at it and say, maybe an individual contributor could be an individual contributor for their career. And somebody who has some of those leadership talents, qualities, motivations, types of things, maybe, uh, you know, getting them into those roles, you know, just a lot of inspiration. Obviously you must've been working for a, a superintendent at that time that had uh, maybe not the constraint of precedent, mm-hmm. uh, you know, preventing them from considering what ultimately it was a pretty good choice given the fact you're, you know, you're literally heading up the leadership uh, education right now for, you know, future administrators. Yeah, no, it's good. I think the other thing when I think back on that is we had certainly had challenges, but I think I gave the staff a little bit of peace of mind when I just flat out said, I know what I don't know, you know, and I'm going to grow into this and here's what I think I'm strong at, what I can offer and other things. I'm not going to try to be the expert. And certainly you bring people along and you work with them. Um, but as I tell some of my colleagues at Drake right now that, you know, they'll always say, Hey, the the pools are getting younger and our students are getting younger and they don't have as much experience. And my response is thinking back to my own experiences are, is, uh, how can we use that to our advantage? Right now that they're not locked into what education was for 20 years and how it has to be. Education deserves new ideas and fresh perspectives and objectivity and, and listening to the student voice. And I think, and, and I started with my intro on purpose here to say, part of the reason I, I really credit, you know, some of my success, whatever that really means, is because I faulted, probably to a fault, on what was best for students. But I'd also ask them. I'd go into student council. I'd bring students in. I was, I was very student-centered. Still feel like I am at the grad, grad uh, uh, level today. And so I think it just, uh, in education, more than ever now, it's about what's best for students and allowing them to push the bar and and uh, create innovations. We just have to leverage the resources to make it happen. I love it. In the business terms, it's what's best for our clients, what's best for our employees. You know, those those principles apply both ways. Let me so give you an example. On average, in looking at the program that you have going on at Drake, how many students come into this program a year? Roughly fifteen. Okay, and how long do they go through the program? It's a two-year program. Um, they can get a a doctorate degree uh, with or without superintendent licensure, uh, but the licensure part itself is about a two-year commitment. Okay, and in looking at these students, how has the talent coming into this program changed over the last, what, you've been there since 2014, right? Yep, 2013, actually, yep. How has that changed? Yeah, and that's a really great question I was really uh, reflecting on. Um, As I already alluded to, I think students have actually gotten younger Uh, coming into the pool. Again, I'm looking at folks studying to be principals or superintendents. So they've come in with less experience. And I'll I'll talk about maybe why. The other thing we've noticed with the teacher leadership and compensation system in Iowa, uh, which is one of the first in the country, is we get more folks now in the last couple of years 
that are instructional coaches, uh, mo model teachers, mentor teachers, which is, again, unique to Iowa. And so they have a very ins uh, strong instructional background, which is a great asset to be a principal or superintendent. Here's the challenge and where we have to spend more time with those folks. It's the balance of the management. The instructional stuff is awesome, but you still got to take care of making sure the buses are running, making sure lunch is provided to students, discipline, special ed compliance, uh, budgeting. All those management functions also have to complement a leader's background and preparation. And so to answer your question directly, I would say we're seeing a younger uh, population of students that are hungry to get into leadership, which is great. We're seeing folks that come in with a stronger uh, background and experience in either management or instructional leadership. And recently it's been the instructional side. And we've had to tailor some things to uh, the management side. And with new standards coming out here in the state, there's a few key areas that uh, we've also had to update our curriculum. And that's around uh, leveraging community uh, resources. That's around kind of wraparound services to families. And that's around the equity uh, work and uh, gaps in our student populations and services. And so those have been new themes, regardless of the population, that have been new to our program in the last uh, year or so. Community outreach and community services, what exactly do you mean by that? Yeah, so that's everything from the school being that hub of you know food and uh, support for a family to emotional and mental health services the community might be able to offer. Uh, for example, you see a lot of schools now welcoming more than ever counselors into the school setting so that students don't have to leave and go to counseling appointments or maybe can get uh, emotional uh, and mental health needs just in time uh, with COVID or, or, or trauma or anything else they're dealing with. And so just more collaboration with community service providers and the school district at large. Okay. So I want to ask an opinion question here. Um, in our work, we look at IQ versus EQ someone's intellectual quotient versus their emotional quotient. Are you seeing one rise, one lower? Are they coming into your program equally? What are you seeing as far as the students and their abilities? Yeah, that's really a great question. You know, part of me, I smile a little bit because uh, about three years ago, we went away from uh, any standardized test for entrance into our program. And that doesn't mean anybody can get in. We still require references, uh, more references. We still require application, uh, narrative, all those things. But we don't require the, what I would consider IQ uh, part of uh, acceptance into a program. Uh, now, what do I see in, in students is, um, and I don't have any hard data, so this is completely an opinion answer, uh, Jennifer. But um, I think many of our folks come in with, with higher uh, EQ, um, if I had to guess. And I think that's not only in their own skills, but I think it's also in their ability to uh, read situations and want to influence situations. A lot of the folks that we see come into our program, you know, in, in your instrument would have, you know, high political and um, want to increase their sphere of influence. Um, and again, I think you know, on that track with instructional leadership and that teacher leadership and compensation in our state, that is the new track. And so when they have a taste, if you will, of leadership with or without the title, I think some of them get really hungry to do more and to serve more and to impact the organization and students more. And so, uh, you know, as I, as I uh, think about that, I would say the, the IQ and that uh, ability to want to influence has probably become stronger than it ever was with the folks we're serving and preparing 
to be uh, building leaders and district leaders. Excellent. I'm glad to hear it because in a lot of the companies we work with, it's backwards. Mm. They come in with a higher IQ, but lower emotional quotient. So they don't know how to handle equity. They don't know how to handle accountability. They have trouble with the tough conversations that may happen in a day-to-day environment. Yeah. Well, part of the reason I use uh, that, you know, the advanced insights profile in uh, our search work, and it's quite honestly been a game changer for us. Uh, you folks know that and have been great partners is because we want uh, not just the school to know who they're getting in a new leader, but we want that leader under understand themselves better and make sure it's a good fit collectively. And uh, that instrument that brings that out is certainly a piece of uh, understanding that for both parties. So how does that dynamic change? Because we've had a chance to sit and and uh, have some really powerful discussions about education and educational leadership and and you walking districts and boards through discussions around what type of talent they're really looking for. I mean, when you say game changer, what did it used to be? And now what do you have with that? And I don't, I don't need the selfless or the selfish plug of, of results group and the, you know, the, the advanced insights, but just truly, cause you've got, you know, a decade or more of looking at it from one lens. And now you've had, uh, you know, several years of looking at it with this lens. When you say game changer, can you expand on that a little bit more? Yeah. You know, I think, and I'm going to take it this way, Brian, um, if you leave a, a district level or superintendent level uh, position up to a school board without this tool or sometimes without a search firm that will leverage this, they may hire somebody that they like or connect with personally or their personalities match. But A, in an interview process, you know, how somebody's interviewing isn't necessarily how they might be every other day, um, which the instrument can measure, obviously. And B, that doesn't mean that's somebody that's going to really move the organization forward. For example, maybe their harmony is off the charts and, uh, you know, they got a low D and they're going to prioritize people over some of the tough decisions. And you got a, a district that really has some tough decisions to make. So for them, they're not going to be comfortable doing that. And for the board, they may feel like, you know, we didn't get somebody that was a strong enough decision maker, for example. And so what we've seen is, I feel like our track record's really good. We have 97% of our superintendents we've hired in the last seven years still employed with the, the, the district we've hired them for. I got to call that, time out real quick. Yeah, that's Trent, amazing. Here's the deal. For those listeners that are out there that are not in the educational world, so seven years, they're still in the same district they were hired for. Trent, what's the current amount of time that a uh, administrator stays in their current role? I mean, that, that I, know, I know the number, but I want you just to throw it out, man. Yeah, it's, it's four years or less. As a matter of fact, um, that's not just superintendents anymore. What the Wallace research just came out and said for principals now, too, it's four years nationally is the average tenure. Yep. See, and I thought it was actually more like two and a half. I mean, I thought there was some trends going on where it was even that short. If you keep a administrator for more than two years, you're almost ahead of the curve, it seems like. But man, kudos and hats off to you. I mean, that's a perfect example of how you can get the pulse and the biology and the culture and all those things of a district, combine that with the board, combine that with the administration. I mean, geez, oh, Pete, that, and I mean, here's the deal, right then and there, you're actually living testament of what's best for kids an administrator, the right administrator that she or he can come in and do their thing, but then 
you just like any other leader, when they leave, they're going to take part of that culture with them. They're going to take those goals, mission, visions, and the new one comes in. And then there's a stop start and it takes the, the rest of the staff. So I just, I want our listeners to know, man, seven years. Are you kidding me? That's, that's crazy. Well, we've, we've lost a couple, but the ones we've lost, uh, Brian, aren't, aren't around fit either. You know, we had one with an ethical thing and the other one where the, you know, the board turned over and had a different vision. But in those cases, you know, those are some things out of our hand. You could still contend that, you know, the fit was still the right thing minus those other issues. So, yeah, we feel like we're batting pretty good with that. And the tool, honestly, and I'm, I'm not blowing smoke at you, the tool has been part of just making sure who they're getting and what they're getting is is what's needed to really move the district forward. It's it's more of an objective. And this was the one of the big reasons I got into the search business is to be, you know, some people say it's innovative. I, I don't think it's innovative. I just think it's a smart way to do business that makes sense. Uh, but we hang our hat on transparency and objectivity. And, and that tool is definitely part of part of the puzzle. Yeah. And it's hard for some folks to understand because it's really just, and I'll shut up about this, but it's it's three different psychologies that were never meant to go together. So, you know, some folks see the personality behavioral stuff, but to get into that deeper level, and that, that's really where the rubber meets the road, but I'll get off that. Let's get back to you, man. So go ahead, Jen. Well, looking at your company now, because you're a professor, but you also have your own search organization, Grunmeyer Leadership Search. When you first went out and started that organization, was it just you? Yeah, it was me and, and one colleague that um, uh, worked with. We built it uh, uh, from, from the ground up, and it was a tough, tough nut to crack at the beginning because there was a lot of traditional firms in Iowa nationally that you're trying to compete with. But uh, yeah, I, I did a lot of marketing up front just to get that chance. And and I'll never forget, I got a phone call from a superintendent and he said, we have a strong internal candidate and I'm not sure if he's the right fit or not, but I'd like somebody like you to help us structure the search process to find out. And we just uh, saddled up and got going. It went well. And I smile now about some of the way we did business back then. Uh, we've got a little better over the years and we'll continue to get better. But uh, that was the first one. Uh, that first year in 2014. And then uh, I think later that year, we did another one. And then it just, you know, the next year was six and then 12. And then uh, now we're doing about um, you know, at 20 to 30 a, a year in Iowa and starting to branch out in, in a few other states as well. Now, how large of a team, internal team, do you have now? We have seven consultants that uh, do a lot of the work with schools. And then uh, we have one uh, secretary or support staff that helps as needed. Well, I can tell you here, just a shameless plug for you. Um, I was on a school board for 13 years and had the uh, opportunity to see three different uh, superintendent educational search firms. All three of those were very antiquated, very old school, you know, not that anything's right or wrong, but uh, I really wish I would have had a chance to work with you and, and your processes. A, did do what you said, created objectivity around the subjective thing called talent, watching and shadowing you on the backside now since I'm no longer on the board. Um, but just literally, it's a breath of fresh air. And if you're on a board or you're in a school district, you need to have these guys looking for your talent because everybody else out there is literally Flintstone carrier pigeon and smoke screens, man. I mean, it's, I'm <laughs> telling you, it, and I, I can say it, I can say it because I've been through it and it is, oh, it's it's like brain surgery, but you have literally crack the code on it and you offer the AKC papers of every single person here, the good, bad, and the ugly versus everybody else out there saying, you know, Hey, here's the resume you hire. You're actually giving them the good, the bad, the ugly before they even have to make a decision. So if you're, if you're in a district or you've been around it, you need to be calling this guy up. So let's get back to you, man. Okay. So 
Um, what do you think the biggest obstacles um, right now are that districts are facing or student, I mean, just in general, you kind of can take this where you want it to go with it, uh, Trent. Yeah, I actually wrote a paper not too long about this, but uh, interestingly, we, we're, we're at 15, 20 minutes into this. We haven't talked about COVID yet, so we might as well talk about it now, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. You know, I think COVID has presented some challenges, but but uh, a paper I wrote uh, after COVID said that, and you look at some, some of the Simon Sinek work and some of the other work, schools have the opportunity because of COVID and leaders in particular to leverage it to make our organizations even better. And what do I mean by that? You know, we got to rethink parent-teacher conferences. And and I know as a parent, parent-teacher conferences, we've done like this, you know, over, over Zoom or, uh, you know, with teachers as needed. I hope that doesn't go away. Right. But, but can we credit COVID for making us do something better and then letting it stick? I think online delivery uh, for students that maybe learn best, uh, you know, asynchronously or uh, in a hybrid model. I think we have to think about that flexibility. Long story short, what I'm saying is one of the challenges I think out there for leaders and, and, and boards is certainly to navigate COVID and, and finish that before we're back to whatever normal looks like but also to leverage the things that are out of it that they know their public and staff may like and be better at and make that the new educational norm after this pandemic's over. I think that's one of the immediate challenges. I think the other thing is we have to relook at resources. Um, you know, in Iowa, 2.4% allowable growth roughly a year. That's not enough to meet the unique cha- uh, challenges of students, uh, whether it's social and emotional needs, whether it's uh, you know, ELL needs, whether it's, you know, any of those gaps that we have to address, it's not enough. Uh, but I don't think we're getting more. And so to me, that means that as a leader that has, you know, the opportunity to leverage resources, you got to get creative and kind of put your money where your mouth is and, and spend resources where you know you're going to get the leverage. And that might look different than it's looked in the past. So I think well, that, yeah. I think because you're able to, I mean, obviously with the instrumentation, you can very easily go to a board now and say, hey, this this individual's maybe a little more constrained by precedent and not be as naturally open to thinking outside the box versus this person's natural tendency is to, you know, think about things as terms of the path less traveled, but also keep the students in mind, but still able to be proactive and aggressive. And so 100%, there's those that are that have naturally been able to uh, gravitate that direction and others are being forced kicking and screaming. Right. So, yeah. Well, and, and, and the other thing I'd bring up with that, since you, you went this direction is do, do the, do the new leaders even understand that, you know, their natural tendencies, you know, we, we're going to help them understand that in our process. Sorry about that. Uh, and the second thing is, do the boards understand that, right? Do they know the person's tendency so that they can write first year goals and challenge that person if they're not naturally going to question or, or improve or vice versa, right? And so, again, I think that's part of where the profile can objectively make sure they understand each other uh, well. Well, you take that into a, in the, the business side of things. How does an employer properly set those goals up front, hold them accountable, and that's that's a big piece too. Is are they capable of being held accountable, or are they capable of holding others accountable? Um, when you think about where leadership's going um, in education, you've talked about instructional leadership, power, authority, talent. What else do you think is going to continue to evolve uh, based on just this this year of disruption? Well, I think the equity work, Brian, is is huge. I mean, I, every organization is looking at equity. Um, I, I like to use the words, look for the gaps, you know, and that's where you should be focused. 
And so I don't think that's going away anytime soon and shouldn't, you know, uh, sometimes I hang my hat a little bit because, you know, I don't think I spend enough time personally in, 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 on some of that work. And I don't know why it takes a uh, issue, you know, on TV with police or social media or a election or anything else to bring up some of these equity things. But uh, we're here and I think it's going to require more time and attention than, than in the past for, for both building and district leaders. So that's, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Um, you know, again, I hate to sound like a dead horse, but I think, uh, you know, a leader that has that uh, autonomy to address where resources go, that's the other one that I just think as um, resources get tight for schools and business and everything else, that's going to be critical to make sure the resources go to the right places to serve kids and families. And again, leadership has that privilege and responsibility to to address resources. So you being in the state of Iowa... Right now, um, for those that don't know, uh, the governor mandated all schools go back to in-person learning on February 15th. So in looking at Grunmeyer leadership search, um, COVID could have been a big obstacle for you when it comes to finding new searches to do if school's not in session, right? So other than COVID, because now school's going back, what, what do you see... Uh, the biggest obstacles for your organization this year, other than COVID? Yeah, no, not COVID so much. We, we've hired 13 superintendents during COVID and still was able to make the final interviews personal uh, with all nice. the protections and everything. So we feel good about that as well. Um, this COVID or not, Jen, uh, you know, our, our mission and focus is always transforming education one leader at a time. And I hang part of the reason I leave my name on our company is because I do put my name behind the people we hire for schools. Uh, it's personal to me. It will always be personal to me. And so that's why I leave my name on the company or I'd gladly take it off. But COVID or not, our focus is going to continue to make sure that we are running the best process, uh, A, to get the best candidate pool, and B, to make sure the folks that we're hiring are not just the, the best fit now, but the best fit to move the organization forward. Education kids deserve it. And COVID or not, that's going to continue to be our focus. Great. So I'm a big believer in learning lessons from mistakes, errors, whatever you want to call them. So looking back, and you can talk about at Grunmeyer, at Drake, or in your past, you know, what's one talent initiative that you executed on that failed? And what'd you learn? What'd you do? What would you do differently? Tell us about that. Because I believe we can learn a lot from that. Yeah, that's a great question. Wow. There's two examples that actually come to my mind. Um, I'll offer you both. Um, one of them, when I was a building principal, uh, we went through a uh, search process. And uh, long story short, at the end of that, it was, I think it was a talented and gifted director, uh, which was a new position for our building. We had somebody and we had really full consensus from everybody on the hiring team to hire this person. And when I made the recommendation to our HR director or superintendent, uh, they said we didn't have the funding to hire the finances to hire that particular person. And the reason that one comes right off my mind is, A, I had to have some very tough conversations with the interview team, with the candidate. I lost sleep over it because, of course, I didn't take that very well and said, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, you, this person wasn't limited when we brought them in and you knew they had a master's degree and 12 years of experience. You know, why was that? Uh, and if if we didn't have the finances to hire them, why didn't we know that up front? Uh, because now we've got this team on board and I'm on board and this person is the right person clearly. And now you're telling them we can't hire them. So, of course, me being creative, I'm trying to think, OK, how can we hire this person anyway? And in the end, I was told no. 
So that wasn't a great example or maybe the one you want to hear, but that in a roundabout way helped me understand that we're going to front load a process and know if finances are an issue, what does fit look like? and make sure we can land that top person on the end and not do that again. And I wasn't in you know, complete control of that particular hiring process. So that's one example. The other one, geez, I sound negative here. I don't mean that. We have a lot of great hires. Now, most of them are. But the other one is um, I've lost four over, over seven years. I'll admit I've lost four top candidates that the board has, has moved forward or, or made the motion to hire. And ironically, two of them were because the spouse wasn't on board. And two of them were the district wouldn't uh, come up or we couldn't get together on, on salary in the end. So we've taken the salary thing completely off the table because I know what a candidate needs and they're not moved forward as a finalist if salary is going to be an issue. So that we've addressed. The one thing that I, I still have not fully been able to get my head uh, wrapped around or come up with a solution to make sure we never lose somebody around this is making sure that spouse isn't going to be a limiting factor if their their husband or wife is that top candidate. And just recently, we lost one uh, because of that. That was a clear choice for the board and denied the job, had even visited the district early, answered all the wife's questions. We tried to cater to them on our end. But in the end, when he got the offer, he turned it down because she was not on board. And so in both of those, what did I learn? Um, I learned that, uh, again, I want to front load with as many things as possible to make sure candidates' questions are answered and it's truly a fit both ways. And I'm going to continue to try to find ways to make sure that not only the candidate, but also their family is committed to the job if they get the offer in the end. Well, in, in your industry, that's difficult because it usually involves a move, yes, right? 100%. So not only are we selling the spouse and the family on a new position, we're actually selling them on a move. And it can yep. be quite a substantial move. Yeah. And even when you offer relocation or some of those factors, that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, uh, they're going to be on board. So uh, I, I just, that's something I'm going to continue to think and learn. I wish I had a silver bullet and here's what I've done and could offer a lot of advice to those listening in. But uh, we're just going to be very intentional about trying to make sure spouses' questions are answered and fit and, and encourage them to be part of the process as much as they're willing to make sure that uh, the board in the end gets the top person that they want to hire. Exactly. And and really the lesson learned on that, and you've already said it, is you front load your questions up front to deal with any obstacles you may deal with. And when we were actually doing recruiting for our clients in Des Moines, Iowa, we would front load questions based on geography here in the town. Because one thing we learned, right, through a recruitment process was people will travel east to west and cross the Des Moines River for a position, but they, nine times out of 10, will not cross west to east for a position and cross the river. I know it sounds weird, um, but we would have candidates fall off time and time and time again because of that one little thing. So the one thing I agree totally with you on is front-loading that. Yeah. So let's talk about you a little bit, Trent. You've got all of these balls you're juggling in the air. You, you've got your, your classes you're doing. You've got your own organization. What do you do to keep your skills sharp? Yeah, that was a, another good question I was thinking about in preparation today. You know, again, part of the reason I love my work at Drake, uh, kind of in the trenches teaching principals and superintendents is because I love to teach and I love to stay connected with those networks. But part of the reason I feel like my search work uh, uh, 
complements my role at Drake is because it keeps me connected with the field. And a lot of my research uh, is around K-12 education as well. And quite honestly, what keeps me ticking is kind of one one keeps me ticking for the other and, and it's complementary. Uh, but I also, uh, the team that, that, that I have working with, I have really two criteria when I hire somebody new. And this is going to sound real simple. Um, but A, I want them to challenge us and make us better. Um, I want new ideas, new networks. I, want, I don't want to just hire somebody that, that wants to be like we were yesterday. I want somebody that's going to challenge us and make us better for tomorrow. And number two is I want to hire somebody that I, I spend an awful lot of time on the road with these people. I want somebody I'm going to enjoy riding with and can connect with. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I don't blame you. That sounds crazy and, and maybe selfish, but uh, I want to enjoy the people I work with as well. And I think anybody does. So uh, when we finish the search or after every meeting that we have, I usually ask the guys, the team, two questions. Um, you know, what do you think went really, really well tonight? And, and could we have done anything better? And oftentimes we smile and say, no, really great meeting tonight. But sometimes, you know, it'll be quiet for a while and, and somebody will say, hey, you know, geez, we could have we could have facilitated that a little different. Or should we have you know mentioned this comment to the board when they were making that hiring decision? And and sometimes that really resonates just to you know, have us look at process. So I hope I continue to embed as we do this work uh, and with the folks that work with and for me that we're just reflective in the process and constantly thinking about how we do business and trying to get better. That, that keeps me going. So after you hire somebody, and I'm assuming you're, you're hiring people that have uh, experience in education. Am I correct in that assumption? Experience in education, for sure. You bet. Yes. Okay. So after you hire them, you, you mentioned that those two criteria. I know you have other criteria as well, but how do you measure them? How do you measure your talent to make sure they're doing what needs to be done to be successful this year? Well, only part of that is on us. And I don't mean to deflect that. Uh, I measure that based on, I mentioned longevity. I think that's part of it because I know how long a leader is there, as long as they're a good leader. Uh, is a positive indicator of student achievement. And every time you have a transition in a leadership role, uh, that can take away uh, from student achievement at hand. So I think longevity is important uh, for leadership. So that that's one indicator. The second thing is we survey the board right after a hire and then six months down the road, once we feel like the honeymoon period is kind of wore off and want to see how it's going. And so I gauge the success of the folks we've hired based on that survey feedback and continue to monitor that. And I also do that for the candidates, um, uh, six months survey and ask them, you know, how are things going? What are you working on? What do you need support with? And so I don't have some of those other hard indicators like the Iowa school report card and perhaps board evaluations, you know, that's on the district and the board that hired them. But those other indicators are again around fit and around where are they spending their time, money and resources and we certainly kind of balance what the board says and what they say uh, six months and a year out uh, to, okay. to make sure they're hitting those targets. Great. So when you assist a district in hiring a superintendent, a principal, whoever it may be, do you work with them on creating an onboarding program or do they do that themselves? Great question. Uh, we work with them on it. Uh, I would tell you, you know, 70, 80 percent of them have a start. Um, or an entry plan or some sort of succession plan. But um, it'd be naive to have that finished until you really learn from the process and know what maybe their first year goals would be. So we take that where it's at and we actually work with them from when they're hired, whether it's February uh, to July when they're on contract 
to update that plan, make sure they have the student uh, achievement data from the district, uh, the finances from the district and where they're at. Actually, we go through the profile with them and then we give them some, uh, when we do initial surveys for a, a search, we ask all the stakeholders, teachers, students, community people, what advice do you have for the new superintendent? And it's always good advice, except, um, you know, better school lunches and more snow days. That's the concern. <laughs> but there's a lot of great advice in those surveys. So I just grab that. And when we get that new person hired, I make sure they see that advice from the survey and reflect on that. So then by July 1, we have them thinking about their plan and um, first year goals and help them uh, focus on the right work. So Trent, a lot of times in education, things are accepted as the norm or processes are accepted as the norm. So I look at what, what Grenmeyer does in the, in the market of, you know, finding administrators. I look at you as a disruptor. You know, you're kind of like a disruptive technology, if you will, a little bit, because you're doing things a little bit differently. So as much of being able to deliver, you're also trying to educate school boards, you're educating administrative teams that, you know, Grunmeyer's different. If you could just have the perfect world of what some of these, whether they're school boards or administrative teams, what would the perfect world be that would allow them to sit back and go, it is so logical that we would use, you know, Grenmeyer leadership search. What what are some things that they're not doing that if they started to kind of do, they'd be asking maybe the right questions? Because sometimes they don't know the right question to ask. A lot of times they're just saying, find me a, a new principal for the elementary school, right? I mean, what are some things that they would be doing that would let them go, oh my gosh, you you have this or this is your problem? I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we sometimes as a board would just ask the same old questions because we didn't know that there was something different until we experienced it. And I think that's what you bring. But what would some of those folks be doing that would cause them to feel like, yes, this just feels right? Yeah, that's a really great question. Here's Brian, without waiver, what I can tell you is, and what I kind of start with, because uh, when I go into a search, one of the first things I tell the board is, listen, I'm not here to tell you I know your school district or your community like you do. What I'm here is I, I can tell you how to recruit and where to recruit best. We can do that. And I can structure a process that will help you make the right decision for your district and community in the end. And I think that takes for them, they quickly understand that we're not going to try to assume we know more than them because we don't know what fit is for their school and their community. So the, the first thing I would say to answer your question is, I would tell the board, how are you going to know that the person across the table is the right fit to move you forward when they're sitting there? And then they usually look around and say, hmm, hmm. And that will open the door to, here's the tools I can help you with. A, it opens the door to, we got to front load that by figuring out what you need as an organization, and then we can figure out how the people fit what you need. And, and like I said before, kind of front load the process, if you will. But that's the driving question that I would ask boards. How are you going to know when the right person is sitting across from you that's going to be the one to be the legend in your district or you know really move you forward? It might not be the person with the highest degree. It might not be the person that you connect personally with the most but that's the right person to move you forward as an organization. So what a powerful statement you just made, man. I mean, in the educational world, we a lot of times all of the emphasis is on the highest degree. You just said something that is I know I know for a fact that the business world has figured this out where they've started to look at individuals differently and saying what is more important, degree or talent, um, you know, engagement versus, you know, employee review, but um, 
I've witnessed it personally firsthand as a board member and as well as now almost 20 years of doing this type of work. I know Jennifer has as well, but you just said that maybe it's not the person with the highest um, educational achievement. Um, I mean, you were 25 and you were promoted to be the youngest principal. What is, what? I have my opinion. I'll keep my opinion to myself, but what happens when a district gets the right leaders in place? What are some of the issues that start to kind of go away when you've got good leaders leading the district or maybe the building? And what are some of the things, maybe, yeah, just go with that, man. Free think, open thought. Yeah, no, I, there's so many intangible things. We do so many hires where the, the, the superintendent that's leaving is maybe not leaving on good terms. And so then you have relationships that are broken on the board or with the administrative team. You have trust yeah. issues. You have where there's no vision in place for the district. And so they're a bit stagnant, if you will. So all of those issues will, will improve over time with the right leader. And, and besides that, I mean, uh, Waters and, and McNulty, you know, put data to it. And again, the, the, the building leader is second to only the teacher in the classroom on their influence on student achievement. Uh, matter of fact, sometimes we get hired for a search and, you know, we get criticized. How come you're paying this firm so much money, you know, to hire the right superintendent? And my response is always twofold. Number one, well, watch the process. We can take a lot of work off your plate to make sure you get the right person, you know, hired. And the process will, will sell itself. And number two, hire the wrong person. And see what you pay in attorney fees. <laughs> oh man! Oh <laughs> man! That, that just stings, brother. Oh, that stings. Well, it's true though. It is true. You know, uh, besides the trust and everything that gets fractured without the right leader, um, you know, it's a financial uh, burden on the district and bad. Well, people. you think about this too. Let's say there's uh, you know 900, 900 students in the in the high school. You know, they're affecting 900 future contributing citizens to society, you know, 900 lives that, you know, could be disrupted or invested and engaged. So, man, it, yeah, I mean, the dollars, the, the, the ripple effects are, yeah, you just made a huge, powerful statement, man. Hire the wrong one. Bam. Well, and I want to jump back to what you said. You said it's not always the person with the highest degree. And I totally agree with you on that. I want to also throw in culture fit because I heard you say that earlier mm, yeah, as well. Good point. And so many times in business, we will see people that want to hire someone just based on transferable skills and not look, look at culture fit. For example, I'm going to give a blatant example. You know, hiring someone to work in Iowa, that's from Manhattan, New York, right? <laughs> yeah. Just doesn't fly well. All skills equal, right, is the culture fit there. Well, what have you seen in that arena? Yeah, I mean, culture fit is huge. Um, that's, that's, again, that's why I front-loaded and say, I don't know your district and community like you because that is that culture piece. And so what have we seen? Um, and again, we cater a lot to this. What we've seen is, and, and back to your original question too, Brian, jumping around here a little bit, but the second thing I would tell the board is, what are some of the highlights of your district? And to your question, Jennifer, what I would sell to the candidate is, the, this is the, also the strengths of not just this organization, but of this community. Then we can get down to culture, right? Because the person from Manhattan may very well know that, okay, you're moving to winter weather. They might get that. But what are the strengths now of Iowa, you know, small Iowa town, if they really want to be part of that? And do they understand that as a strength? So I think that's part of it. It doesn't mean that, uh, you know, it might not still be a reality shock, 
but do they know what they're getting into and the, what the culture is here? I'm not sure organizations even know their own culture sometimes though, you know, because when you ask them what their strength, and that's why we start with a survey so that to advise the board, here's what other people are saying your strengths are. And here's what other people are saying your concerns are. What do you think board? Are you in touch with this? And then they confirm or deny some of that stuff. Then we go figure out what the culture fit is with the pool of candidates, right? But you got to identify that stuff up front first, and then you can get down to fit. I always joke around with candidates when I work with them, and they'll say, well, how, is it, how important it is that, that I live in the community? There's nothing that you can do in Iowa legally to get a superintendent or a principal to live within the community. But if I had a matrix, I would tell you the smaller the district and the further away from a metro area, the more important it is for that person to be part of the community. And I agree so with all, that. Yep. All they can do is, is incentivize it to re- help them pay for relocation and make sure that the candidates know how important it is to be engaged in that community. But again, that's a cultural fit there. Why is it so important? Because the board understands that the culture in this community is to be part of it and spend your money at the local grocery store and the gas station. And when you do that, you'll be able to go further as a school leader and take the, the organization further than, than they're at now. So that's a long, I think, yeah. I think what you do also brings a unique um, skill set into play that I think other businesses could learn from. And what I mean by this is you're working with people that are on contracts, right? So you might hire a principal or a superintendent, but they might not start for what period of time is the average between the time they say yes to when they actually start. How long is that? Well, we hired six superintendents in the last two weeks. And so they'll start July 1. So you got... All right. So how do you keep them engaged on the hook so they don't change their mind? Because I talk with a lot of business owners out here that say, well, Steve said yes, and Steve was supposed to start today, and he never showed up, and he called me and said, I'm staying where I'm at. How do you handle that juggling act? Education is a little different. Uh, First of all, we make sure that we don't delay in getting the contract signed. And so when they're signing a contract, you know, they're, they're, we're getting that board approved in a week or two so that they can start the succession planning for July 1. So the first thing I would tell you is, you know, get them to sign the contract formally uh, to make the hire official. The second thing is uh, get them engaged right away and not just them, but their family. What I tell new hires is, and I just had this conversation with a lady moving from Arizona to Iowa, be a new superintendent of the great district in Iowa. I said, take care of all the personal stuff first. Take care of the family move. Sell your house. You know, take care of your child who you're going to enroll in school. Take care of the personal stuff. Stay in tune to the professional stuff, the board agendas, the new hires, the policy revisions. But take care of the personal stuff first so that when June comes, July comes, and and you have to start focusing on the professional, that personal stuff isn't going to eat away at your focus. Because my experience is, and that's coming, again, from a lot of our survey data and conversations with the folks we've hired, that personal stuff can really get in the way of work performance if it's not taken care of and, then you know, the family's not content on, on the move. So Absolutely. I would tell organizations to engage them, but also have the understanding that some of those personal things need to take place so that they can focus on the work at hand. Rock and roll, man. So, I mean, and I, I know you've got a lot of little side things that you do because one of the things about being around people that are driven is they put the ADD to work for themselves, right? I mean, that's, um, 
So what do you what are you jacked up about right now? What are you reading? What's something cool that you might be following that you know our listeners, business or educational, might go? Man, I'm going to pick that up. I mean, I, you and I share books all the time, but I mean, what's something right now for Trent that you're kind of going? This has me kind of juiced. Wow. You know, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm doing less reading and I got to be careful here in what I say here in my academic lens, but uh, I'm probably doing less reading right now in formal books than I am actually social media stuff. Cool. Um, just because I think some of the stuff is a little more timely and it's just, I haven't had a whole lot of time to engage in, in, in uh, reading books. Uh, but I'm, I have been following some new people. Uh, PJ Capozzi uh, is an up and comer superintendent from uh I believe Illinois. He's a guy I'm really tuning into. Um, but I've had some just other professional conversations. I'm following a guy, Brian Davidson from Missouri, who's doing some great work with the military right now and Russell Wilson Foundation. Uh, so just actually doing more networking, I think, and social media where I'm staying in touch with stuff than, than probably formal books right now. Um, you know what, man? I, I've got to be honest. I'm, I'm a little bit that way now. I've been doing more podcasting. Yeah. Uh, I've been doing more, you know, like you said, social media, because it's funny. The, 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 the latency of information is the, is the killer right now. And uh, that's pretty cool. So I appreciate that, that perspective. Is there anything about your business, about the educational world or your work at Drake that we didn't ask about that you think we should know? Wow, that's a that's wide open, huh? It is. You know, here's something that I just I, I took some notes as we thought about today, and and just looking back a couple things. So maybe these will sound uh, a little bit random, but I just offer two things. Um, you know, one of the things that I channel, I, I struggle with, and I'm trying to get better at that I think is is good for leadership, and I see this from the higher end lens again too. You, when you look at a lot of things in K twelve that have come, a lot of the initiatives and the the shiny objects that schools do actually come out of ideas from folks in higher ed. And I think a big part of that is because they maybe have experience, but they're removed enough to see the big picture and the opportunities. Hmm. And I hear that example because right now in my search work, as we expand, I'm trying to find the right balance between keeping feet in the trenches and doing the work that I still enjoy, but stay out of it where I'm not doing all the minutia all the time so I can look for opportunities to get better and expand. And I think for leaders, that's a delicate balance. If you're just putting out the fires and doing the day-to-day work, it's going to be hard to find those opportunities to make the organization more efficient or better, right? Almost that's technology at hand. But if you're not in the trenches a little bit, uh, you know, you could be seen as you don't get it, you don't understand, or, or you really don't know what's happening. And so I just find that as a delicate balance that I continue to wrestle with but I think is just critical. So that's probably the biggest thing um, I would say. And then the other thing I would say is this that I've learned. Um, I used to spend a lot of, we started today talking about marketing and starting with one search to two searches to, you know, 20 some a year. And, and we'll probably continue to do more, I hope. But I used to spend a lot on marketing. And the truth be told, we just let our work do the marketing now. And maybe that's the same for you guys. But uh, I spend less on marketing right now. I just let our story, our people, um, you know, do share, share what we can offer. Um, when I get uh, the chance to, to, to uh, propose a new search, I just really ask the boards to do their homework and calling other boards that I serve, uh, not send them a flashy flyer or a video, just call the people we've worked with and, and let that sell uh, what you can offer. So just two things I'd, I'd, I'd mention as I thought about uh, talking with you guys today. 
So what you spoke of earlier was really about work-life, not work-life balance, but working on your business uh, versus in your business. That's how we like to say it. What's one trick that you've learned to keep you on task so you're doing just enough in the business, but still being able to work on it? Uh, Building up the people that I work with and trusting them to do it. Um, You know, I think there's a fine line in just knowing when the folks around you are ready to take the lead and then trust them to do it. And that takes time. But once you're there, it only takes, you know, uh, one opportunity where they, you, they have your full trust and you get out of the way. And sometimes that's longer. Sometimes that's shorter because that depends on the person and their abilities and, and confidence level and, and uh, willingness to get after it and do it. So yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is hiring good people, getting them trained, whatever that looks like, and then trusting them enough to do the work and, and making sure it gets done well. And uh, to your satisfaction. And then, and that trust will lead you to maybe stepping out a little further and letting them run. How do you know when they're ready? How do I know? Each individual is different, but how does Trent know? Uh, you never a hundred percent know. Um, but I, again, I gauge kind of their confidence. I gauge, um, you know, what they do, not just what they say, but okay. Have I seen them take the lead on things? Have I seen them take the lead on things and do it well, uh, when I've been around and if they can do that when I'm around, then I got confidence. They can do it when I'm not around. That's awesome. Well, Trent, thank you so much for your time today. Um, What you've brought to the table, I think, will really help our listeners in a variety of industries, not just education. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah, Trent, you're awesome, man. Thanks so much. Continued success in doing what you're doing and making a difference in, uh, you know, our future, our future uh, crop of children that we're putting out into the professional world. So thank you, man, for everything you're doing. And and how you're doing it, and also the why you're doing it. So thank you, man. No, I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope there's something useful in it, and uh, we'll continue to do the work. And uh, that keeps me going, no doubt about it. Awesome. All right.